Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, good morning, Crossview Church. Welcome to church this morning. As you can see, I am not with you in person again this morning, and I apologize for that. This past week, our youngest uh, tested positive for COVID, followed by my wife. So we, obviously, I am not able to be with you in person as we are following our COVID quarantine guidelines, and we'll hope to be with you again this following Sunday. So I'm thankful for technology uh, and that I can join you this way, whether that's in person here in the room or online. Well, welcome to the third week of our Walking with Jesus series, and today we are going to be moving from the Sea of Galilee, where we have been for the last couple of weeks, down south to Jerusalem, and to one of the most famous walls in the world. It's called the Western Wall, or the Wailing Wall, and it sits right at the heart of the Jewish quarter in the old city of Jerusalem. Now, the history of this wall and this whole area is mind-boggling. You know, here in America, we don't really have anything to compare to it. We go to the East Coast and to some of the buildings from our early, the earliest of our country, and they're not yet 300 years old. And it's a whole different story when you stand and you can touch something that is thousands of years old and set on a piece of land where it's recorded history Uh, dates back to the time of Abraham. What a place. So we got to go visit this wall, (laughs) excuse me, a couple of times on our trip. Once the first night that we were there in Jerusalem and then the second day in Jerusalem. It is a beautiful place, especially at night. And like we were doing each week, I brought some pictures. So I'd like you to take a look at some of these fascinating pictures. You can see as we're walking up to the, uh, at night, it's just beautiful, especially with all the lights on. There's lots of people. You can see people further, closer to the camera and further away, closer to the wall, at the wall praying. You can see the cool thing about the architecture is you can see the different eras of, of uh, building as the stones get smaller and more structured as you go up. It's pretty, kind of, it's pretty cool. Just a couple more pictures, a little bit closer to the wall. And then here's one that includes some video. You can kind of see what it's like. I could turn on my cell service. It might be worth it. It's pretty cool. You can see all the people kind of praying at the wall, lots of different places. There's a spot for men on the left and women on the right past that green barrier. And then I had a friend who, a Jewish friend, who wrote a prayer and asked me to take it up and put it in the wall, which is a normal practice here. And so you can see all of those prayers and notes in the wall. And I got an opportunity to walk up to the wall and to pray and uh, then put this note of prayer uh, in the wall for my Jewish friend. It was a really meaningful thing. I had someone take a picture so I could show her that I was able to do this for her. And I know many of you uh, know uh, many of these, uh, these people. This was just a small part of the group. Uh, a number of the pastors from the Pacific Northwest Conference uh, together at the wall. And man, that was a really fun, a fun group to be part of. That was just, just for fun to show you all of those. You know, one of the things that struck me and many of us was the passion and the intensity of the prayer of the Jewish women and men at the wall. 
Oftentimes when we pray, we might be standing silent, bowing our heads, folding our hands, praying internally. Uh, but that is not, that <laughs> did not characterize the, the type of prayer that the Jewish women and men practiced at the wall. They didn't just stand there. They used their entire bodies. Often you'd see them rocking back and forth. They would be singing, reciting scripture, uh, and just using all of them, head, heart, and hands, in prayer at the wall. And it's a really cool to see their, their passion and intensity, and there's a reason for this, which I'll get to in a moment. The Western Wall is a place of prayer and pilgrimage. It's a sacred place to many Jewish people. It is the only remains of the, of the retaining wall that surrounded the Temple Mount, Uh, And it was the site of the first and second temple in Jerusalem. It's pretty amazing when you think about that. Knowing this history makes going to the wall an incredible place. One of the reasons why the Jewish people pray so intently at the wall (laughs) is because they're longing for, they're longing and waiting for the promised Messiah, who they believe has not come yet. They're desperate in prayer for salvation. And there's a tension that you feel when you watch these people pray because it kind of feels like they're stuck behind the wall. And in fact, that's how what I've titled this message today, Stuck at the Wall. And here's what I mean. I took another picture, which for me uh, was <laughs> a visual representation of a bunch of different things. But mostly the fact that these people are blocked from what they wanted most. Here's this picture. You can see at the bottom of the picture is the, the western wall. And just above the western, western wall, uh, you can see the golden dome just above the wall. Now what's fascinating is that that's called the Dome of the Rock. It is one of the most famous mosques in the world, if not the most famous mosque in the world. And so one of the things that you can see at first is this tension between the ancient Muslim faith and the ancient, and ancient Christianity, or the ancient Jewish faith, uh, which Christianity came out of. Now I won't go into all of that, but it's really important to note that this section of land uh, in, the, in the Holy Land is sacred in some way to most people in the world. And it played a central role in many of the violent conflicts in human history. Many have fought for control of this land. The Dome of the Rock sits right on the place where the temple used to be. In fact, one of the reasons why the Western Wall is famous is because the Western Wall is what would have been the closest wall to where the Holy of Holies was in the temple, which is right where the Dome of the Rock sits right now. You can find the story of the building of the temple in the beginning of Ezra and Nehemiah. And for the Jewish people, the temple and the tabernacle before it was literally the place where God dwelt. It was the coming together of heaven and earth. It was the presence of God in the midst of the people. It was an important place and the center of their community life. And so for a lot of reasons, the wall keeps them from that. And you see the, the separation now in that they've lost control of that part of land. And now the Dome of the Rock sits there. From Exodus to Deuteronomy, you have God giving people instructions about the tabernacle and the temple. And then people working to build it. And so I was struck by the fact that for many reasons... 
The people praying at the wall were stuck at the wall. They could not, they could not get to the place where they so longed to be. In the most holiest place where they believe that God dwells. So it got me thinking of all of the walls in our life that are possibly of our own making that sometimes keep us from experiencing that all God has for us. And so that's a question I think will be is guiding us in this message and is for these next couple of moments. You know, in scripture, one wall that we like to talk about, uh, that is of human making, is the elaborate system of rules and commandments, which had to be followed in order to worship God correctly and to quicken the return of the Messiah. Like I said before, the Jewish people are still waiting for that return. We usually talk about this as the law, right? And it's usually connected with the Pharisees in scripture. So just to kind of get our, our heads around this, uh, the Jewish law, we, I think we've talked about this before a number of times, but the Jewish law had 613 commandments to follow from the, the, the Bible, the Torah, the Bible alone. And while following 613 commandments may have been hard enough, over time, the Jewish leaders began slowly to add to these laws in what was called the Midrash or an ongoing commentary on Scripture. These additional teachings, uh, this additional teaching is basically made up of an ongoing compilation of sermons and sayings by Jewish rabbis meant to interpret the original Mosaic law. The ironic piece is that those were intended to bring some clarity, but I think actually made it more complicated. They wanted to bring clarity, but it ended up adding layers and layers of regulations for people to follow. So for, the, so for the Pharisees, they not only had to follow the 613 commandments of the Mosaic law, but literally thousands of new commandments that were created to clarify the original 13, 613 commandments. So here's an example. One of, uh, in the Mosaic Law, one of the Ten Commandments that we know we're familiar with is to uh, practice the Sabbath and to keep it holy, which meant that the Jewish people were not supposed to work usually on the Sabbath day, which was usually Saturday. So to clarify this, the Jewish scholars created 39 categories of what uh, constituted work. And within those 39 categories, there are many subcategories of work. So to follow the rule of not working on the Sabbath, there are thousands of sub-rules to follow, including how many steps you could take and how many letters you can write and so on. So we get stories like the one found in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, where the Pharisees were questioning Jesus and the disciples about picking heads off the wheat in the fields as they passed by. They were upset because the disciples were not supposed to be doing any work on the Sabbath, and that constituted work. How about a current example? Uh, while we were over in Israel, there was a special Sabbath elevator that was, that was for non-Jewish people that would uh, work the whole time. The other regular elevator would be turned off on the Sabbath day because uh, Jewish people couldn't push a button on the Sabbath. That would be work for them. So there was a special elevator for those of us who were not Jewish and could use the elevator. We often see that both in scripture and today as just missing the point. It feels like they've lost the heart of what it means to follow God. That they're stuck in the letter of the law. 
We're stuck behind the wall. And that's exactly what I thought when I saw these people praying at the wall, that while I understand what they're doing, we believe that they have missed something so very important. And that is Jesus Christ. It caused me and the other pastors there to reflect and ask the question about our own faith. Have we in our brokenness put up barriers of our own making that get in the way and lead us to stop focusing on who Jesus is and what he did? Now, uh, I love listening to podcasts. I usually listen to podcasts while I'm running in the morning. And this past week, as I was running, one of the uh, episodes that I was listening to ended with a series of questions that fit so well for our message today. One interviewee said this, if Jesus came today in America, we might do what the Jewish leaders did to him back in his day. Because at times we have a counterfeit version of the faith based on other values than what Jesus has. If Jesus showed up, (laughs) I'm not sure that he would keep us in power the way that we want, and we just might crucify him. Maybe we need to break up with and acknowledge the sense in which the American evangelical version of the church, with his name, has become distorted and adopted so many values that are contrary to him. We need to follow Jesus. Now, that, that can be a, that's a loaded quote with a lot of different things that might make us think about lots of different specific issues. And so I guess the point, is, uh, the point that we're making is what are the things that we may have put up that are not part of the way of Jesus? Historically, a few examples maybe within our church context of, of missing the point of things like this might be an argument over whether chairs or pews are the most important things to have in a sanctuary space. Uh, maybe if you all remember, we used to have more, uh, more acutely the, the kind of conflict between singing hymns or contemporary songs on which is the best way to worship. Scripturally, we might we see even more major uh, disagreements Uh, Will we allow non-Jewish people into the faith? Is the invitation to everyone, no matter where they are from, or who they are, or what they look like? See, the beauty of the message of Jesus is that no matter who you are or how you come, we all have the same issue. The real wall that keeps us from worshiping Jesus and experiencing all that Jesus has for us, the real wall that we needed help to get past was sin and the brokenness of our lives that kept us from entering the holiest place of all, God's presence. See, when we focus on Jesus, we get some clarity about some of the walls or things that we put up that can get in the way. But here's the thing. We don't have to get stuck at the wall. We don't have to get stuck behind this wall because Jesus has provided a way for all of us. Look at what it says in Hebrews 13, 11 through 14. It says this. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. The bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace that he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. 
Now, uh, the beginning of this passage describes a very specific day in the Jewish sacrificial system. It was the Day of Atonement. We're going to dive more deeply into this passage a little bit next week and get more clarity on what all of this is, is saying. But, but the Day of Atonement was the most important day in the whole calendar year for the Jewish people because it was the, one of the only times that the high priest or the lead pastor of the day could go into the temple and directly into the Holy of Holies, the very place where God's presence dwelled to ask for forgiveness for his own sins and for the sin of the whole nation. Now to us, centuries removed from this practice and in a very different culture, the whole sacrificial system stuff sounds a bit odd. And maybe it too represents what we might feel like is a barrier uh, that finds its end and its fulfillment in Jesus. And that's the exciting thing. So stay with me here because I want to explain the sacrificial system as simply as I can. Because it's so important and powerful to understand what it is that Jesus did and how he broke down this barrier. So here in Hebrews, scripture is contrasting something that no longer has the power it once had compared to Jesus. It's not just talking about the wall. It's talking about the wall of sin. Jesus broke down the barriers. So, to understand this better, let's quickly go back to the beginning. God's original design for humanity was to be his rulers here on the earth. Reigning and, and ruling as his representatives in his power and in his way. And that's exactly how it happened, right? For a bit. After just a few chapters, humanity chose to disobey God and to do its own thing. It's a complete betrayal against how everything was created to be. It's like humanity took all that was given to them by God and decided to create their own kingdom. In a lot of ways, sometimes we're still doing that. Now, if you give a significant responsibility to someone and they break your trust, what happens? Well, you can't trust them any longer. So Adam and Eve, having given in to the temptation of sin, the temptation of Satan, break this special relationship with God. Their eyes are open, their perspective changes, and now having chosen their own path, sin enters the picture, and they realize that they are in trouble. So they all of a sudden realize that they're naked, they're full of shame, and they cannot be in God's presence as they are. So one of the things that we read is that God makes clothes for Adam and Eve from the skin of an animal. God's action of killing the animal provides this uh, means to cover Adam and Eve's sin so that they could continue to whatever degree was possible to maintain this relationship with God, although it changed drastically. This is the, essentially the beginning of the sacrificial system. So from then on, for hundreds and hundreds of years, God's people, through the sacrifice of animals and other things, covered their sin in order to maintain a relationship with God. Talk about a barrier to all that God has for us, right? <laughs> it was this, this major break in relationship, and it needed fixing. You see, the, the, the thing that the sacrificial system didn't take care of completely was the sin, was that major break in relationship that kept us apart from God. It only covered it. That is, until Jesus Christ. 
Because, and here's where I get all excited. And you know, I'm, I get excited about the Bible and I get excited about the truth and the reality of what Jesus has done for us. And I hope you do too. This is powerful, life-changing stuff. Jesus' death was the last sacrifice needed. Jesus took all our sin and shame on, uh, with him on the cross And as Jesus died, so did the sin and and shame. Jesus' death and resurrection didn't just cover up our sin. It finally and forever put sin and shame and the guilt of sin to death. Gone completely in Jesus. Praise the Lord and thank you, Jesus. It begins this new covenant, this new era of relationship between humanity and God. And it gets even better. Jesus proving that he was God, had the power and authority to take up his life again, and that's what he did. He rose from the grave, leaving all the sin (laughs) in its death and giving us an opportunity to be reborn, made new, brand new, without that barrier in the way of relationship with, uh, with God. Therefore, because of his sacrifice, because of his death, because of his resurrection, we are made new. Without that sin problem getting in the way, he put it to death. And the best part is, it's, a free, it's an invitation to everyone, and it's a free gift. This is important and life-changing stuff. Look at what it says just a chapter earlier in Hebrews. It says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the, thing, of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide the perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Just a few verses later, it says in verse 11, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and there He waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made made perfect those who were being made holy. Come on, this is good stuff. Incredible what Jesus has done for us. Don't get stuck at the wall. Jesus has provided a way through. What are the walls in your life? What's keeping you from this full relationship with Jesus? Jesus is the way through those. What barriers do you face? What do you feel like is getting in the way of a deepening relationship with God? You know, one of the cool things about the old city of Jerusalem is that all around the old city of Jerusalem, there are these amazing archways called gates. They're famous and they all have different names. And uh, some of them even show up in scripture And these gates are entrances or doorways into the heart of the old city, into the holiest places in Jerusalem. Here's the cool thing. Jesus is our gate. He is the way through to the holiest place. His presence, 
no longer bound in a building, but available to you and to me, and now ready to change our lives and empower us with his spirit. There's nothing that gets in the way. It's an invitation, and all you have to say is, yes, Jesus, thank you. Don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't get stuck at the wall. You know, there are crowds gathering all across the world this morning who are gathering together to hear a message, to sing some great music, and possibly walk away leaving unchanged. What a tragedy. Let the Lord speak to you this morning and break down some of the walls and the barriers that you've brought here with you today, this morning. Hebrews eleven fifteen through 17 says this. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, this is the new covenant. I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. The freedom that we have in Jesus is inconceivable. It's unbelievable. And when we experience it, it changes our life. Don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't get stuck at the wall. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a powerful thing that you have done for us. And I'm so thankful for this lesson from Hebrews. God, I I pray that we don't get stuck uh, behind barriers of our own making. That you you will begin to break down walls, break down barriers that keep us from this full relationship and experience of you. God, we want to continually come to you and ask for the forgiveness of our sins for the ways that we've chosen to go a different direction. And we thankful, we're thankful for your mercy, your grace in our life that forgives us and invites us back uh, into this relationship with you. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross and we love you. Help us grow and take step after step, deepening our relationship with you. Make us more aware of your presence in our lives. Teach us, guide us, lead us, and then let us share this hope that we have with other people. We love you, Jesus. Be with us now as we spend a few minutes together in communion. We give you all praise and glory, and in your name we pray, amen.